uh, begin in Luke chapter 17. Luke the 17th chapter. Now, I was once again kind of being pulled in two directions and um, I actually prepared notes and slides for Colossians 2. Um, And we may get there yet tonight, but um, I want us to begin, and I did actually last minute stick some slides in for Luke 17. Um, So I want us to begin, feel led that this is where we're supposed to begin, I should say, in Luke chapter 17. So we begin at verse number 6. Luke chapter 17 and verse number 6. Let me give you just a, a little bit of a recap, review of what we've been talking about and kind of stir you up a little bit, hopefully, um, about some things pertaining to faith. Now, the simple statement that's actually been the title of the message for the last four Wednesday nights is this. Faith is not passive. Faith is not passive. We need to view, understand, look at, use, if you will, our faith in an active way, not just a passive way. We looked at the verse in Hebrews 11 where it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Believing that God exists is important, but simply believing God exists is not enough use of your faith to receive anything from Him. Believing that He exists would fall more into that passive category at least, or at least more on the passive category end of the faith spectrum. In Colossians, the Bible says, and we looked at that verse, that as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. And we see that we received Him by faith, but not by passive faith. We heard the gospel message, we believed in our heart, And we acted upon that by confessing with our mouths. That's how we receive salvation. And the Bible says that now we walk in all that we became and in all that belongs to us. Walking in Christ means walking in who you are in Christ. Walking in what's been given to you uh, as someone who is in Christ. We walk all of that out in our lives, again, by faith. And And the example for doing that is... As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord. The same way we received Him is the same way we walk in all the benefits, plural, that are ours now as born-again believers. But listen to me, please. Just because you've been given something, just because something belongs to you, you still have to appropriate it by faith. The Bible says by His stripes you were healed. But healing doesn't occur automatically in our lives. It's something that must be acted upon by faith. Are you you following this? A passive belief that God can heal. That's where a lot of people are. Oh man, God can heal. God can do anything. That's not enough to receive healing. That's That's not the kind of faith that lays hold of healing. It's more. That's a more passive... We use the example... 
Um, do you believe Warren Buffett exists? He's one of the wealthiest men in the world, not just in America, right? Do you believe he exists? Well, yeah, I mean, of course he exists. Do you believe he can give you $100,000? Amen, yes, he can. But notice, believing that he exists and believing that he can do something is not the same as believing that he will or believing that he has. Are you, see, are you understanding the difference here in all of this? So then last week we, and I, I'm really hesitant because it's, it's kind of one of those uh, touchy subjects for me. I, I, when people speak of faith as currency, speak of faith as currency, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of that because the things of God are not for sale. You don't buy healing with faith. In other words, I don't have to buy something that's mine. This shirt is mine. I don't have to pay to wear this shirt. I have to get the shirt out of the closet. Thank God for a wife who keeps it washed and cleaned and ironed for me, right? But I have to get it out of the closet and put it on if I'm going to wear it. But it's mine. I don't have to pay for this shirt every time I want to wear it. It's already been paid for, and now it's mine. I access it, but I don't buy it. And so... I'm, I'm, a, I'm very sensitive when, and I know a lot of people use that expression that faith is the currency of heaven. No, no, listen, the kingdom's been given to you. Everything that God is and everything that God has is yours. It's, it's, it's not for sale, and it can't be bought, but it, it doesn't have to be bought. It's been given. So when we talk about faith as currency, I don't like that because it gives people this idea that if we can scrape together enough faith, we can buy a miracle from God. We can cash it in for a miracle. No, no, no. Faith accesses what's already yours. But it's yours in spiritual form. We live in a physical world. If we're going to bring it from the realm of the Spirit into the realm of the natural, we've got to use faith to bridge that gap. We've got to use faith to, to, to access these things. Have I already lost some of you? Are you still with me? Now, so with that said though, if, if you think of, like, let's just use money as an example. You, you could have, I mean, and I'm sure it's happened, um, you could have money in your pocket to buy food and starve to death. If you don't use that money as a tool to engage the process of, 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 of purchasing food. So as long as the money is in my wallet, it's passive. For it to become active, I have to actually take it out of my wallet and, and use it. The Bible says you've been given the measure of faith. Romans 12 and 3. But again, the faith that you've been given, it has to be used. Do people still write checks? I, 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 write, a, I write a check to pay my tithe and my taxes. If you look at my check registry, it's like, you know, tithe, 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 tax, tax, tithe, 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 tax, tax. You see what I'm saying? Do you remember the first time, though, you wrote a check? You do realize that you don't just write anything you want on a check. In other words, if you're going to have a checkbook, 
there's, there's a process if you're going to use that financial instrument as a means of exchange. Just because you've got money in the bank, just because you've got a stack of checks in your checkbook and an ink pen uh, to fill them checks out, if you don't know how to, to engage the economy around you by properly filling out a check and signing it and all these other things, you know, you got to write out, you know, the O-N-E-H-U-N-D-R-E-D, right? Anybody remember the first time you did all that, right? No, it's, you can't just write the numbers on there. You've got to write letters and numbers and all that stuff. But if you know how to do it, you can use that. You can engage that. If you just have the checkbook, it's passive. When you activate it, when you, when you release the check, when you write the check. Now, in Luke 17, we see two other ways that this is illustrated. And so it begins with verse 6. He says, so the Lord said, this is, this is the master speaking, this is Jesus speaking. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. Come on, anybody believe this? In our world today, you know, this, you know, you go out and start talking to trees, people will kind of think you've kind of lost your mind a little bit right here. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, the Bible says that Jesus spoke to the fever. He didn't speak to Peter's mother-in-law. Or Keith Moore say it this way, can fevers hear? Can mulberry trees hear? Obviously they can. Because when he spoke to the fever, the fever left her. Now Jesus is saying, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I'm pausing on purpose here. I want you to kind of let that settle in here for just a moment. I worked out in the, in the, in the yard last weekend and... And, um, you know, it doesn't, a weed doesn't have to get very large before you can't pull it out of the ground anymore. You, you have to get a, a shovel, you have to get something else to get under that thing. I was pulling up some privet hedges, you know. And some of them, man, I just had to cut them off at the ground. I, I, I couldn't pull it up. He's talking about a tree being pulled up and then being deposited in the ocean. If you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, a lot of times I think when we look at this verse, we tend to focus on the mustard seed being among all seeds one of the smallest seeds 
that turns into one of the largest plants. I keep an acorn on the, it's a pretty good sized acorn, but I keep an acorn on the shelf in my office. And just from time to time, I, I look at it, I'll even pick it up and hold it and just remind myself that there's a 70 foot tall oak tree inside of that thing. Right? But the thing about a mustard seed is it's a very tiny seed that produces a very large, you know, in comparison, ratio tree. And so I think a lot of times when we look at Jesus' teaching and, and, and Him using this reference, we, we have this tendency to focus on the size of the seed compared to the results that come from that seed. But I'm offering to you tonight that Jesus had, if, I'm sure He had that in mind, I don't have a problem with that, but I believe He also had something else in mind, and maybe that something else was even more important than the, than the size comparison. And, and that is, faith as a seed. In other words, you can have a seed on a shelf that's dormant. In other words, the potential that's in the seed has to go through a specific process in order for the results that it can produce to be produced or for the, those results to be released. A seed can remain dormant on a shelf in a, in a, in a barn for 200 years. Notice it's in a passive state. But when it's taken off the shelf and put in the right soil at the right time and the right conditions, now we've gone from passive to active. And the, and the, uh, the process that causes that seed to germinate, it releases the potential. So again, Jesus is saying, if you have faith as a mustard seed, not so much the size of your faith, but if you know how to use your faith, if you, if you understand how to use it as an instrument, if you understand how to use it as a tool, then he says that this is the result, these are the results that the faith you have right now in your life can produce for you. All right, let's keep going. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. So what's, what's the picture here? You, you, you got you know, a servant, he's out there, he's, he's working, he's getting a lot of stuff done, and, and um, you know, just you know, on a roll, in the flow, right? You're not going to go to the door and say, hey, stop working and come in here and let me fix you something to eat. But, verse 8, will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Now somebody said, yeah, I used to have a boss like that. 
No, no, that, no, no, see, <laughs> listen to me, please. What is Jesus teaching on here? He's not teaching on employee relations. He's not, he's not, he's not talking about, um, you know, how to be a good boss or a good employee. He's talking about faith. He's teaching us about faith. And what he's saying is, when you understand how to put your faith to work, keep it out in the field working for you. Quit calling it back in. Quit interrupting what it's trying to do. Let it keep working. Let it be a servant to you. Let it do for you what you can't do for yourself apart from it. Let your faith do its job. Are you seeing this? Jesus comes walking on the water. Peter and the disciples are in a boat and, and it's, it's, it's stormy and the wind's blowing and, and, and these men are getting in a, in a panic state and they think Jesus is some omen. They think he's some spirit. After all, you know, this is the first time they've ever seen anybody walk on water. I would just about guess that to be true. And Jesus says, hey, settle down, guys. Don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter says, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, come on. He just said, come. He didn't say, come on. He said, come. Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water. Don't ever let anybody in your presence say only one man ever walked on water. That's not true. Peter walked on the water. But the Bible says his focus shifted away from Jesus when he began to look at the circumstances that were going on around him, he began to sink. But Jesus caught him. And they walked back to and got in the boat. And then Jesus said, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I think it's pretty clear, but let me point out to you that as long as Peter was operating in faith, he was walking on the water. It was when his focus shifted and he began to sink. Now, I know sometimes people get nervous when I start talking about translations and this and that, but I don't believe little faith is an accurate translation here. To me, it takes some pretty great faith to walk on water. And if it was only four steps, that's four steps more than I've ever walked on water. If you look the word up in the original language, when it was translated, O ye of little faith, it could have also been translated, because the word means the same thing, it could have been translated, O ye of brief faith faith. In other words, as long as he was engaged in and operating in his faith, it was Peter's faith, by the way, that he stepped out on. And as long as he was operating in the faith that he had been given, he walked on the water. But when he began to doubt, when his focus shifted, this is when he began to sink. Are you seeing this? Take that Take that story, that example, and bring it back to this one. Verse, um, verse 7 again. 
And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Or is he saying, don't, don't call your faith back in, but leave it out there working for you. Are you getting this? All right, so here's my, here's my question for you. And I really, really, really believe this is not just a question Pastor Mark is asking you. This is a question the Holy Spirit has asked me to ask all of us. Right now in your life, what is your faith working on for you? What assignment, what task have you given to your faith? What, where have you employed your faith? Where have you released your faith? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because one of two things that happen, right? Either everybody in here should raise their hand, and then if nobody in here raises their hand, it only means that you're not being honest or you're not listening, and I don't want to embarrass anybody who wouldn't raise their hand. But the statement is simply this. Anybody in here got a problem that needs to be solved? Anybody in here got an issue that needs to be fixed? Anybody in here got something going on in your life that you wish would be over? Anybody in here needs some healing? Anybody in here needs some money? Anybody in here needs some wisdom? Anybody in here needs some help? Right? Amen. Well, listen, obviously Jesus is in heaven helping us. The Holy Spirit is on the earth helping us. But He's also given you this instrument. He's given you a tool. He's given you this faith, right? Far too many believers, ironically that's what we call ourselves, right? Far too many born-again Christians are leaving their faith on the shelf in the barn. They're letting their faith just lay around on the sofa and do nothing when it should be out in the field working on your behalf. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right, go with me now. Thank you, Jesus. Go with me now to... Oh, thank you, Father. Let's go to Mark 11. Amen. Amen. Mm-mm-mm. All right, so... I've been seeking the Lord for a way to explain this and he brought to my attention on Friday of last week that he's already given me an example or, or an analogy it's like I don't man, I probably should have left all this part out but there's something that's there's something that's so crucial here Okay, so this would be, again, by no means am I suggesting you can write a check big enough to get God to give you something. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm fixing to teach you how to write the check. 
In other words, I'm fixing to teach you how to plant the seed. I'm fixing to teach you how to get your faith out of passive mode into active mode. Okay? When I say I'm fixing to teach you, forgive me. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is going to teach us tonight how to get out of passive mode and how to get, in, how to get into active mode. Alright? Now, Mark chapter 11, and let's begin at verse 12. It says, Now the next day he had come from Bethany, come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Everybody tries to read all kinds of stuff into this. And I'm not saying that there aren't things there to be read into it. This is what I believe the Holy Spirit has, you know, it's like, Jesus, why would he go get figs when it wasn't the time for figs and it should? Jesus isn't dumb. He knows, right? Well, if you understand what's really going on here, Jesus is using this as an object lesson. He's using this to teach His disciples and to teach His disciples, all of us, one of the most important fundamentals of faith that exists in all the Word of God. Let me, let me, let me try to do it this way. Let's just imagine that you and a bunch of friends are out hiking through the woods. It's the middle of winter. And one of your friends goes to a tree that doesn't even have leaves on it, much less anything else, and starts trying to find some pecans. If nothing else, they're going to have your attention. I believe Jesus went to that tree. He knew there wasn't any figs on the tree. He went to that tree looking around on it for figs. Jesus, what are you doing on that tree? I'm hungry, boys. I'm trying to find some figs here. Like, Jesus, there's not the season for figs. Why? Right? But now that he has their attention, in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. If he hadn't went to try to pick the fruit off the tree in the first place, and he just spoke to the tree in passing, they may not have been paying attention to what was going on here, and Jesus needed their attention. He got their attention by looking for fruit on a tree that did not have fruit on it because it wasn't the season for fruit. Okay? Now in the morning... Let's skip down to verse 20. He goes into the city. He cleans out the temple. In verse 20, Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This time Jesus, again, He's a master teacher. He is a master storyteller. He is a, he is a master uh, at making the most impactful impression on people possible. So where he made a big deal about there being no fruit the day before, right? Now, he's walking past it like it's no big deal because he wants them to see for themselves that the tree has been dried up from the roots. And boy, do they see it, right? Because again, they're like, again, if he hadn't made a big deal about the tree the day before, they wouldn't have been thinking about it when they passed by that tree the next morning. They probably passed 600 trees 
on this trip. Are you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Think about all the trees you'll pass going home tonight. Are you understand what I'm saying? So, but he made a big deal about that one the day before. Now, coming out, their minds trigger, wow, that tree. That's the one he spoke to. Rem- I do remember, right? And so they're like, Shazam, Jesus. Right? That's not really what he said. He said, Rabbi, look. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus said, don't look at me. I didn't have anything to do with that. No, that's not what he said, right? He answered and said to them, come on, say it with me tonight. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. We've all got an imagination, okay? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine how amazed, how astonished, how, how freaked out the disciples were at this? And in that impressionable moment where they are standing there in awe, Jesus is going to strike while that iron is hot, so to speak, in their hearts with the right words. He didn't say, oh, guys, don't be amazed. That ain't nothing. You've seen me do more than that. He, no, no, see, no, 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 no. He Think of all that he could have said. But in this moment that he prepared and planned and his father showed him and he, and he made the big deal about it the day before and then he spoke to it so they all could hear it and then he comes back the next day and now they're standing there in amazement. In that impressionable moment, what does he plant in their hearts? Have faith in God. What is he saying? He's saying it's not just that I did that. Faith did that. And you have faith too. He's the son of God. He can do do anything. See again, it's not what he drew the attention to. Think about the times people grabbed Jesus and he said to them something to this effect. Your faith just healed you. You're like, well, hold on a second, Jesus, man. you. You're being so modest. No, no, he's emphasizing something here. That individual, that woman, that man, that group, their faith connected with something in him that brought healing into their bodies. And Jesus pointed it out by saying, your faith just made you well. Your faith just made you whole. Your faith just set you free. Are you seeing this? So he answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, remember anytime he says assuredly, he's he's about to tell you something that's going to seem impossible and he's telling you to brace yourself. He's telling you don't get into doubt. Don't let this sell over your head. Don't let this be too strong for you. Because what I'm telling you may not seem to be right, but it is right. It's, It's eternally right. It's as right as my Father in heaven. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, notice now he went from a tree to a mountain, from a mulberry tree saying that you could speak to it and be plucked up. He spoke to the fig tree and it withered and died. Now he says, if you speak to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done. He will have 
whatever He says. Therefore I say to you, verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. All right, I'm out of time, but I've got to share this last part with you. So here is the analogy. We shared it, I don't know, a month or two ago. The wording here, and I'm going to show you this next Wednesday night in the Amplified Version because it helps us as well. But the wording, okay, amen. We're not going to wait till next Wednesday night. We're going to do it right now. Thank you, Jesus. You good? Amen. You get anything out of this? All right, so let's go right quick. I got the Amplified in my iPad. Thank you, Jesus. It is whirling away right here. Amen. All right, until it comes, I'm going to talk. What he's saying is that when you pray, at that moment you believe that you've received whatever it is that you've asked, whatever it is that you've spoken to, whatever it is that you've released your faith, employed your faith, sent your faith to do on your behalf. Are you seeing this? You release it when you pray. That's speaking. When you pray, you believe that you receive at that moment. And you will have whatever it is that you pray, whatever it is that you say. In other words, he's saying, let me just, let me just cut to the chase, all right? Here is the way, and, if, and I'm sure there's a better way, and the Holy Spirit will show it to us as it unfolds, okay? But here is the best way I know right now to illustrate what he's saying here. And it's back to the roundup. I'm talking about the weed spray, Roundup, analogy. If you've ever sprayed weeds with Roundup, I sprayed some poison ivy with Roundup two weekends ago. And if you've ever, if you've ever sprayed, you know that you don't spray it on there and it dies. As a matter of fact, when you spray it on there, there's something kind of glossy in in that substance that makes the plant actually look healthier than it was before you even sprayed it. But when you release that substance, you just set something in motion that you can't see in that moment, but that plant is as good as dead. Now, my dad, he can tell you how it works. I don't know how it works. Somehow it, it, it does something to the, to, the, to the biology of the plant, and it, I've heard like it grows itself to death. I mean, there's all kinds of things. He can explain every bit up to you, but here, see, watch this now. I don't have to know how it works to release it. 
And every time I go to look at that poison ivy, I'm not looking to see if it's still alive. I'm looking to see if it's dead. I'm looking to see if I've received yet what I believed when I shot that stuff with that Roundup. Are you seeing this, right? Because the moment I released it, I entered into an expectation that I haven't received yet, but I know I will have the result that I believe that I would receive when I released that roundup. I, I, went into, I went from wanting it to die to doing something about it to kill it to now expecting it. No doubt. But there's nothing about the way it looks that tells me anything's changed. This is one of the reasons Jesus uses the example of a seed. Because you put a seed in the ground, brother, sister, you just initiated a process that's going to produce some results, but there is nothing visible. There is nothing whatsoever when you first put that seed in the ground that says anything's happening, anything's changing, anything's different. Notice the fig tree dried up where? From the roots. Long before you'll ever see that seed stick its head out of the ground, it's putting down roots that you can't see. Now this is where we get into trouble if we allow the enemy to mess with us, right? Because we pray and we believe that we receive, but then we don't see nothing happen in five minutes. We don't see nothing happen in five days. Next thing you know, we've done, told our faith to get out the field and go do something, whatever, that faith stuff don't work anyway, right? And your faith was out there working for you. It was out there working for you. You canceled the check. All right, stand with me, praise God. Is this making sense to you? One of the most important revelations of, of faith in recent memory for me, and I, I hope I'll get there next week, but I'm going to go ahead and just mention it to you now. For years, for years, I've preached it what I believe now to be backwards. I've preached for years that hope, I've even used these words before, it's like a pre-faith, that you go from hope to faith. Well, I wasn't entirely wrong, but what we're calling hope at that, in that scenario is not really the kind of hope the Bible talks about. I want to show you in Scripture that, that the hope that he's talking about it, it comes from having believed. In other words, when we pray and we believe in that moment that what we've asked, we have received, even though we can't see anything coming out of the soil, we, we can't see any difference. The fever's maybe even got a little higher. The, the, the hip's hurting a little more. The, you, you know what I'm saying? But we believe we receive right now, right? Symptoms are still there. Nothing seems to have changed, right? Again, we sprayed the Roundup and the thing looks healthier than it did before. But no, no, no. See, the minute I sprayed it, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I took the time 
before I went in the house to get a shower to mix up a little Roundup and kill this poison ivy so it won't be here next time I come around. Right? In other words, I, I automatically enter into what? Hope. I automatically enter into expectation that what I just did fixed the problem. Nothing I can see looks like the problem's any better or, 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 or changed it at all. But I know what I just did fixed it. And it gives me hope. You see the difference there, right? Faith is the substance. It provides the basis for our hope to rest upon. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. I thank you for what you're teaching us tonight. I thank you for helping us. I thank you, Father, that... Amen. I'm going to pause for a minute. Listen to me now. I want you, to, I want you right now. I asked you a moment ago, and, and he just corrected me. I didn't spend enough time on that. If your faith is not in the field working for you tonight, let's get it out there. Let's release it. Let's put the roundup of faith on some poison ivy problem in our lives. Let's do it tonight. Let's speak to it tonight. Let's release faith tonight. And then let's consciously, deliberately enter into a confident expectation that we just engaged a process that's making a difference. Amen? And so, Father, we want to please you with our faith. We're faith children of a faith God, and I thank you, Father, tonight that everything we put our hands to is going to prosper for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, I love you. Thank you for being here. I apologize if I went a little over tonight. Amen.